Jeff, Matt, and Ryan love movies. They have probably spent hundreds of hours discussing and debating the top five movies of all time and quoting their favorite lines verbatim. They could tell you thousands of trivia facts about who starred in this and who directed that and what year that one indie came out. They know what makes a movie special, the elements needed for a successful sequel, and what movies will bring home the big awards each year. It got me thinking. I don't think I truly paid any real attention to movies until I met Ryan. Since then, with his guidance, I have become somewhat of a budding movie buff myself. I could never compete with these three lifelong cinephiles, of course, but based on all Ryan has taught me about film over this past decade, I think I have learned a few things. Trilogies are important, but they're also really hard to pull off. Just like the three-act structure of a play, book, or movie, a trilogy represents three parts to a story as a whole. They can fall flat and disappoint easily. You can't just write a mind-blowing first installment and carelessly throw together the sequels. I think the boys would agree that there has been many a sequel that has ruined a franchise. To form a successful trilogy, each entry needs to feel distinct yet connected. The second and third installments have to be just as strong on their own as the original. They have to be well-written, casted, and produced. They have to have just enough connection to the first film to make sense, mixed with enough original content to wow the audience and keep them wanting more. While Jeff, Matt, and Ryan could debate what the best trilogy of all time is, whether it is the first Star Wars trilogy or the Godfather trilogy, I have a different nomination. I would argue that they themselves are the greatest trilogy. Their story has all the major elements of any award-winning film. Great characters, an abundance of humor and heart, a simple yet poignant plot, themes of love, hope, and connection, attention to detail, structure, dialogue, battle scenes, and heroes. I may not know everything there is to know about movies, but I know a good story when I see it. And the story of these three boys is unmatched. I love you all so much. You are each amazing and dynamic on your own. And together, you are my favorite trilogy. I was sitting in a crummy movie with my hands on my
Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, so creating this series about CF and collaborating with members of your family has been an emotional experience for sure. But I hope that when everyone looks back and reflects on this experience, they find that it was cathartic. I know these candid conversations will help others out there living with CF to feel less alone. I am honored to have you on this episode so we can hear firsthand what life with CF has been like for you. So why don't you begin by introducing yourself? Yes, I'm Matthew Higginbotham. I work at Bank of America in Providence, Rhode Island, and live in Cumberland, Rhode Island with my wife, Sandra, and my two bulldog babies, Bubba and Princess Leia, and I was born with cystic fibrosis. Okay, so let's dive right into this whole world of CF to give people, you know, I'm sure people have been listening to other aspects of this episode, getting everyone else's perspective, but let's get yours. So how old were you when you understood exactly what CF was And how did that make you feel as a kid? Because, you know, people are figuring out now that you do have an older brother, Jeff, who had CF. You guys had different journeys, but of course you were on this road together. So I think you can speak to this differently than Ryan, being the only person in his household with CF. I think he was able to get away with it a little longer, not understanding the aspects of it. So what was it like for you growing up? I I was thinking about that question the last like week. I I mean, I I think because Jeff was so sick, it wasn't one of those things that was almost like an add-on. It was like part of our lives. And it was part of like everyone's lives. I mean, Meg, Katie, my mom, my dad. I don't think I necessarily 100% knew how vicious of a disease it could be. Just because when you're that young, you know, you're concentrated on friends, sports. You know, I played almost every sport besides football growing up. And, you know, I had a couple of hiccups, like very minor that really didn't, you know, set me back with playing sports. So it wasn't one of those things that was always on my mind 24 seven, you know, even when I, I always remember like going to the hospital with my mom and it would just kind of be very routine. And it's not like one of those things where if someone else wasn't used to going to the doctors and then they started to go every like three months, they'd be like, oh, this is, this is a little odd. It was kind of just part of what I was used to growing up was just, all right, every three months, hospital, go back, hospital, go back. And it it didn't kind of hit me until, you know, I think just naturally when you're getting older and your health starts to deteriorate a little bit, you know, in certain tests that you didn't have before because you were healthy and you're too healthy to do those tests. So things like that. And then, you know, I think just, you know, being with Jeff and it's just tough to tell when exactly I knew like how severe it was because even when I was like five, six, he was already in and out of the hospital. It was a very weird norm. Your older brother is like in and out of the hospital all the time on like Thanksgiving, Christmas, like every holiday, every birthday. So it was kind of just, it was a very weird feeling in the sense where if someone else asked me, like a friend asked me, I'd just be like, oh, he's in the hospital. Like, and they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, I mean, he's in the hospital. It was an odd childhood for sure. But I, I think because... I was so into sports and I was able to play sports. That's where I gained all my friends. And I don't want to sound like, you know, like I'm cocky or arrogant, but I, I had a lot of friends growing up all because of sports. And I have the majority of those friends I have to this day, you know, so that made things normal. I, I didn't, I don't think I necessarily, you know, could correlate between like a normal person and myself until. I was older and like early teens where I really was starting to kind of see firsthand like stuff that was happening to Jeff. And then I was like, well, how come it's not happening to everyone else? I think just like anything else, as you get older, you start to self-reflect a little bit more. 
and you know you start to i mean for a while there i'm just going to assume that my parents didn't want to you know have me seeing firsthand everything that was happening with jeff so early on so it's another one of those things where it's kind of like out of sight out of mind but you know as i'm getting older i'm starting to see more stuff and again it's i mean going back to the theme of it was kind of the norm i mean like starting to see him in the hospital was just unfortunately part of the norm and, and i guess the second part of your question how did it make you feel i mean it was it was odd it was it was definitely weird i, I didn't I guess the only thing with CF is, and I'm sure Rye can relate, it's you don't really have a lot of time to just sit there and say, you know, woe is me, or how come this is happening? It's kind of just move forward, do what you can do, and then, you know, tomorrow's tomorrow. It's it's not a disease that you have the luxury of just saying, like, you know, give me a second, let me let me think about this. Let me think what I, what I can do. It's kind of just a very fast paced moving disease. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best childhood just because, you know, hospital, seeing your brother, seeing how it affected not only your, like myself, but the rest of the family. I can't speak for, obviously I can't speak for everyone else who has the disease, but I think the luxury that me, Rye and Jeff did have, and again, I don't want to speak for Rye and or Jeff, but I think, you know, our family is just so supportive and like hands-on that it may, it did make it easier for sure. Yeah. Ryan describes it. And I don't know if you would say the same thing. Ryan describes it like a club that you don't want to be in, but if Ryan has to be in it, he was at least glad to have you and Jeff as sick as it sounds like you don't want anyone to be in this club. Right. But you know, if you're going to go through this thing, that's so strange and you have to, you know, think about some serious things really early on in life when other kids don't really have to do that. Ryan, I know, has always expressed gratitude, like you said, of the family being super supportive, being very open with one another, and then just you, Ryan, and Jeff having one another. So you don't feel alone, so you don't feel so different because you have other people you can chat about these things with and your fears or your hopes, your dreams. Like being angry, I'm sure there's like a whole wave of emotions you go through depending what's going on in life, whether it's hospitalizations, whether it's watching Jeff go through his transplants and everything that he went through. It's nice to sort of have that sense of community within your family. And the thing that I admire about you guys is that you are more than family and more than cousins. I consider you guys all to be best friends with one another, all seven of you. Yeah, no, I've been... It's it's one of those weird things that, you know, and it's and it's no slight or dig at anyone in the family and or friends or close friends. Un unless you have the disease, it's just a it's again, like I think Rai's uh analogy or him calling it the the club you don't really want to be a part of. It's just one of those weird things that kind of bonds you together, whether you like it or not. I mean, me and Rye obviously would be best friends and Jeff, you know, regardless of the whole CF thing. But I think if you're in pain and you know someone else who's in the same amount of pain as you are, it's a, it's a weird kind of bond. And it's nothing against close family friends, close family, you know, my immediate family. Like they struggle just like, just like everyone. Because I mean, it's a struggle when you see family members who are going through, you know, terrible stuff. But it's just, it, it is a little different when you have a specific disease and you have two other people in the family who have it and they can full on relate to, you know, not being able to get out of bed and things like that. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a weird kind of fine line. 
And it is like where I said, it's a weird little club that, you know, I'm not going to be shouting to the rooftop saying I'm part of the CF club, but again, it's, you know, it's not something I run away from and it's not something I'm ashamed of or anything like that. It's just, no, it is what it is. And even though, and I think that just proves what we were saying before, even though, you know, it's impossible if you do not have the disease to, you know, full on relate to the fullest extent of ins and outs of, you know, doing meds twice a day. And again, you know, maybe you're not able to get out of bed and even work on a laptop. But the fact that, you know, they were so supportive and they felt so strongly about like when we were down or when we were up that it even shows how more supportive they are than on kind of like the, the surface. When everyone, when either me, Rye or Jeff were sick, everyone, you could kind of feel it, feel the temperature in the room. So one of those things where I think it shows you how truly supportive the family is. Absolutely. I was thinking too, you know, I think we all sort of play a role, right? Like I love Ryan so much. I know Sandra loves you so much and we would do really anything for you guys that we could humanly possible. But one thing that I'm extremely grateful for is that Ryan has you and had Jeff for so many years, because like you said, you know, I might see him in pain. I might sit in the hospital with him, but I'm never going to know what that feels like to be the person in the bed, getting the needles, getting all, you know, the treatments done. And, you know, even your moms, you know, Tony and Ellen Ann, of course, like dedicated their lives to CF and raising you guys. And they did a phenomenal job, of course, on all three of you and all their kids. But we all play a role. So, yeah, you know, when we, we can come in and be that supportive person for you guys. I know Sandra is a big source of support for you, of course, in your household. I try to do that for Ryan. But, yeah, no one can really fill that void or, you know, be that person who's really going to know, like, oh, you know what I'm talking about, man? Like, those specific things that, like, Ryan could explain it to me until he's blue in the face, but I'm really, truly never going to know. And so it makes me feel so much better when he's texting with you, like, if you guys are both in the hospital, which sometimes it seems like it does line up. Yeah, it's pretty weird like that. But I think, you know, going back to the whole sports theme, and, and I say this to Sandra a lot, and, you know, I've had, I've had friends in the past who, again, like people I grow up with that they are so close to me, but it's one of those things that unless you see it firsthand, unless you see your significant other or your family member doing meds for two and a half hours a day, it's just one of those things where, again, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And what we were talking about before with the sports theme, and I say it all the time, having CF is not an individual sport. It never has been. And in my experience, it never will. It's something where you do need to rely on people for support. You know, everyone, like you were saying before, I think everyone plays a role. And to me, it is like a team sport. I mean, whether it's my dad, you know, kind of helping me mentally with like sports or, you know, my mom going to my hospital visits with me, everyone, Meg, Katie showing support, treating me like a regular kid. It's everyone plays a role. So it's just one of those things where you need to accept the fact that, you know, you're not in it alone and it's not an individual thing and you got to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help. And I think everyone especially in our family, it's just shown that support. And the disease is going to be the disease, but it makes it easier when people do even little things people do for you. It's just going to make things, it's going to make days easier to, you know, get along with CF. That's one thing that I really admire about your family. I'm really close to my family and I'm super family oriented. So to marry into a family, and I'm sure Sandra can relate because she's close to hers. It's really a beautiful thing to see, you know, 
and especially when the chips are down and someone needs you. I just I just really like that, and I love that analogy of being a team sport, and I'm just excited to be part of this team now. Um, we rely on our friends, but I have a, a question about your friends. You know, you said you had a lot of friends growing up, many of whom are still some of your best friends to this day. Did you share that you had CF with your friends early on? Is it something that you wait to share with your friends until you got to know each other more? How, how do you usually handle that? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. I think my specific case was a little bit different. I mean, it, well, it's probably maybe similar to other people's, but I can only, you know, talk of mine. But, you know, I lived in Barrington and Barrington's a very small town. And again, it goes back to the sports thing. I played many, many sports growing up, you know, playing with different, different kids my age and then started to, you know, form even very early on, very strong bonds, you know. People I consider friends to this day, like strong friends, and it was one of those things where I don't think I ever necessarily like, you know, sat them down and was like, hey, you want to play kickball? And oh, by the way, I have CF. You know, it was like my parents knew their parents and the town is just so small. And it's not one of those things where, you know, my parents are going to go again to, you know, they're not going to run to the mountaintop and scream, you know, my sons have CF. It was just one of those things where, and you don't think about it at the time, but when you're, when you're when you have CF and you're playing sports growing up, I mean, that's a lot of like, I don't want to say liability, but it's a lot of things to look out for. And it's a lot of caution you got to take. So it's unfortunately one of those conversations that I'm sure my parents had to have. And, and then, you know, because we played sports at such a young age with these same people every year, I just became closer and closer to them. So it almost kind of just became, you know, more of the norm again, back to the norm. It was my norm that they knew it. And then, you know, once I got to like middle school and high school, you know, I think kids just talk. Honestly, I mean, I probably have, but I, I can't even remember off the top of my head ever sitting a friend down and telling them, you know, I have CF. Everyone that, you know, blatantly knows I have CF, I think already kind of knew it living in Barrington. And then, you know, it was a little different once I got to college because I, I was a little bit more secretive when I got to college in the ways I would like take my meds and, I mean, I, I was very fortunate I had a ride there, but again, it was definitely, you know, it was a very weird and new experience for me because I really was in control of, you know, my health and not that I wasn't before, but now this time it's like, it was, it was, it was a different experience because, you know, if I'm sick and if I wasn't at home, you know, my mom would like do chest PT and she would, he would, you know, hand me the meds to take. But if I'm sick in the middle of the winter in Newport, Rhode Island, I mean, I got to go walk to you know, the building, do my meds. So it's, it's a, it's a much different responsibility from when you're a 17 year old in high school to now completely on your own. But getting back to the whole friends thing, it was a lot of kind of secretive maneuvering almost to disappear for a couple hours, things like that. And I think honestly, that's when I started to get a little sicker. I didn't, I really never was sick in high school. I went to the hospital a couple of times for a little monitoring, but, and probably it has to do with lack of exercise. I mean, once I was out of high school, my exercise level was definitely decreased because I wasn't, wasn't playing every sport in the world on an annual basis. So, you know, I think it was one of those things where if I'm going to the hospital more times than not in, an, in a year, I mean, it's, people are smart. They're going to see that I'm disappearing from class and disappearing from, you know, living with roommates, stuff like that. So, you know, I probably did tell people in college, but, you know, kids I grew up with in Barrington, no, I don't really remember ever sitting people down. It just kind of, 
whether it's unfortunate or fortunate, just became the norm. And luckily, again, I had, I had and have great friends who are more than understanding, you know, never treated me different. I was fortunate in the sense where I didn't have to explain myself if I'm in a basketball game and I need a breather, like, and I'm really coughing. Like, I never had to do those things, which I think was a, a, I guess you could call it an advantage. And I said this to my dad and I'll say it to my friends, like one of the best things for people, for family members of CF is like, even though you're not quote unquote, a normal kid, you sh- you want to be treated like a normal kid. So the less, the less kind of conversations with your friends about, oh, well, what is this? And how come this? And why are you going to the hospital? It's just, it's straying away from like the normal kind of uh, version of a, of a child. So it's, it was my normality that, you know, everyone knew the situation. I was able to just live my life, play sports, gain genuine friendships, and not have to worry about, you know, what people thought about CF or if they had any, you know, constant questions, things like that. And again, when people ask questions about CF, it's not, it's not one of those things where it's like, I'm annoyed or not willing to answer it. It's just, you know, and I think we mentioned it before, it's like CF is on your mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So the more things can kind of stay, quote unquote, again, normal, I think the better uh, better time I had growing up in Barrington where I was just treated like anyone else got, you know, no handouts, no, you know, when I got cut from sports teams, I was okay with it. Right. You didn't want to be coddled. Yeah, no, not at all. Almost the opposite. And so I was fortunate. There's a couple of things to unpack there that I have a question about. So, you know, the great thing is, is you've had these lifelong friendships pretty much. So in a way, I'm sure your mom probably had to have conversations with some of their parents about, you know, if Matt's going to come over and sleep over, you know, he has to take these meds, X, Y, and Z. Certain, certain conversations were had that you didn't have to have. So then you go to college. And like you said, it's sort of your first time. Like it's all on you now. No one's handing you the meds. No one's doing PT for you. Did you ever have any time in college? And I know this is like probably something that I know, I know Ryan sort of maybe gets a little ashamed about maybe some of the things, but you get to college, right? And it's this first sense of freedom. You know, you break away from your family, you're on your own. Did you ever have like a time you wanted to like sort of slack off and, you know, you say CF's on your mind 24-7. Did you ever want to just break free from that and, and just be like that typical college kid and not have to go over to the office and do your meds and, and all that? Yes and no. I think when I got to college, and I wasn't very sick in college, but I was feeling more enhanced symptoms than I would in high school. Now, I think one of my biggest regrets early on growing up, thinking about it when you're 33, it's, you know, you can think all you want in hindsight of what you could have done and what you should have done. But, you know, growing up, especially seeing Jeff doing a million meds, and I had so much exposure firsthand to seeing that. I definitely slacked off as a kid because, again, I think when you're like eight, nine, 10, even early middle school, 11, 12, I was just so, I mean, I I wouldn't say I was healthy because I had a lung disease, but I I really was the healthiest, you know, I'd ever been. So I, I just, you know, I did take meds and I did take nebulizers and things like that. But I think if I ever were to miss a med or a nebulizer at that time, I think because I was just so active and always constantly exercising. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that like, that's the key to CF. I'm just saying when you're, when you're that age and you really have not shown a ton of symptoms and you're always active, 
and I and maybe I miss a med or two, it really wouldn't affect me at that time. But when I when I get older, and once high school is done, then I would start to notice if I missed a med, I, I would definitely feel off the next day. You know, again, it goes back to the regret. I, I do regret how I went about my mentality growing up, like early on. I, I, I always specifically remember my parents would always say, you know, do your homework and then do your meds. And I'll do the homework and then I'd be like, oh, like, I, it's just annoying. I don't want to do it. And now looking back on it and, and I just, I don't want to say you're, you're like ashamed, but it's kind of like you, you regret not just doing it, just to, just to do it. Your brother's going through so much worse stuff than you just do it. But it is what it is. And, you know, I think, again, going back, I think as I got older in college and stuff like that, I'd be lying if I said I, I would miss meds from time to time, but I would never do it, you know, maybe more than like once every two weeks. I think because I really, for the first time in my life, started to notice, oh man, like I, I need to do meds consistently or I'm going to feel it the next day. In my mind, I had that phase where I was like, oh, I can you know, not do meds and I'll be fine. I had that like in my early teens and then a little bit in high school, but I, I don't think I could afford to stay out of the hospital if I was skipping meds. So no, I, I don't think I really had that, uh, that mindset in college. Definitely early on, I, I was more, I guess, open to skipping meds. But you know, I think once I got to college, I had already seen Jeff go through two or three transplants. So that's when I relate more to Jeff. Because, you know, when you get older, you mature, start to really do a lot of self-reflecting on what you can do, what you can't do, what you should have done. But on top of that, if you see your brother really, you know, three transplants, it's a, it's a hell of a life to live. And it's almost kind of like, you know, once I started to get sick, not only was it a responsibility for my own health, but, you know, to me, it was kind of like, looking at Jeff and he never missed meds and he couldn't do anything about it. He was just, he was just born that way. And it was kind of like, well, I almost kind of felt like as I got sicker, it was more of like my own moral responsibility, not only to myself, but to him and my family. I just think like anything else, you start to grow up and you start to think about different things and self-reflect. And yes, yeah, so I really, you know, again, I'd be lying if I said I never missed a med hundred percent all the time. Like things happen, I would miss a bed every once in a while. But yeah, I think things changed once I, it was noticeable that my health was changing. Yeah, well, you know, they say like once you know better, you do better. And I think if you were gonna have a phase of you know feeling like you could get away with it, I think it makes sense when you're 12. I mean, I nanny a 12 year old girl right now. You can't get her to do something 100% of the time. It's it's almost impossible. So. Of course, now at 33, looking back, you're like, oh, I really should have just done them just to do them. But that's a hard and that's a lot of responsibility on a 12 year old. So when you look back at your life, you know, I guess, you know, I wouldn't so much see it as a regret because you do, you're doing the best you can. That's all anyone can ever do. And you've learned from it. And if you were doing that now at 33 and skipping meds, it would be concerning. But like you, you learn, you grow and you do your best. So, I mean, I admire you guys. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a big burden at a young age. So I think you're just doing really damn good for yourself, you know, even if you miss a med here and there. I, we got through your friends. Now fast forward a bit and you meet Sandra. How long until you shared CF with Sandra? That's a good question. Probably like the second or third month we started like officially dating. Wow. Okay. Did you have any like reservations surrounding that or were you just like, you know, committed to just being open and, 
and whatever her answer was from there, were you prepared? So I think like the, the, the running joke and Kelvin had said it in when we had the surprise engagement party, he said, you know, Matt would always say he's never getting married. I, I was, um, I don't know if I, cold is the right word. I, I was very cold with my, you know, assumptions of life. And I think a lot of that has to do with what I saw, you know, with Jeff's life. I, I just think whether it's unfortunate or fortunate, it was just kind of how I viewed life. And this isn't like some pity party either. It's kind of how I thought about it and how I went about my life. I, the Kelvin's joke was, you know, Matt would always tell me I'm never getting married. And I didn't, I didn't think I was ever going to get married. Never really had a uh, you know, relationship with girlfriends growing up. And it was just my choice not to do that. It was just, you know, it was kind of like, my friends are close enough. I, I don't want to get into, I think when you kind of peel the onion back, it was just being scared, basically. You know, scared that so many people already know about the disease. Like, I don't want to potentially get another person to know from the disease and then say you break up and they're kind of just not in your life anymore. But I think I just knew it was different with Sandra and I knew early on, you know, and I think honestly, that's why we got married. I think, you know, any other girl that would have been, it would have been like the six or seven month mark, or I probably never would have told them whether that's a, in bad form on my end, uh, maybe, but it was, you know, uh, I was what, 22 at the at the time. So, you know, I was a scared 22 year old who had never really gone down that path of, you know, letting someone else into my life and, um, you know, as Rye said in that, in that club. So it was just a very scary, to me, it was like, honestly, and it's funny, we kind of joke about this. It was almost more scary to say I have CF than like the first time I said, I love you to Sandra, because you don't know what the other person's going to say. And like, for how common CF is in America, I, I think you'd be surprised that a lot of people don't really know what the disease is. And it's not something you should hold against people because I'm sure there's some diseases that are really terrifying and affecting thousands and millions in the US that you know maybe I don't know everything on. So just a lot of things to go into that two minute conversation about, well, I have CF. I never felt comfortable enough with other girls in my life knowing I had CF. And then, you know, I just, I think that's when early on, I was like, you know, the whole not marriage thing, I, I kind of knew early on, I was like, I mean, this, I, I kind of have a feeling I'm going to probably marry this girl. I think when you know, you know, and although it was very terrifying, it was just something I had to do. I can't even imagine how that feels too, right? Because, you know, you've, you know, you've probably casually dated other girls and of course, you know, let them into your life to a degree. But it's almost like it's twofold, right? So on one hand, you're like, this girl is so different and she's the one and I want to share this with her. But then on the other hand, you're like, but this could scare her away or this could be too much and this could be maybe not what she planned for her life. So you're rolling the dice almost twice, right? So first you have to tell her this big, scary thing that you, you, know, you never had to really do before, sit any of your friends down and say it because that was sort of always handled. So you're having this conversation you're not used to, and then also you don't know how it's going to play out. As much as you know, you know Sandra's heart, and you knew it would probably be fine. You just don't know what's going to be too much for a person. So I'm sure that was a hard thing to do. I know Ryan was very, very torn about 
how to do it, when to do it, how to say it. We were all so young, like around similar age to you. You said 22. I think Ryan was 22 when he told me. And, you know, he didn't maybe go about it the maybe the best way. But I mean, but that said, like, I can't imagine what I what I would do, how I would do it, how I would handle it, because you don't know until you're in that situation. So I can't judge him for how he handled it. And then, you know, same way he didn't couldn't judge that I handled it however I did, like being caught off guard. I really don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. Um, it's a hard moment, though. I'm sure that was probably one of the hardest moments of your life, if I had to venture a guess. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, needless to say, so I was of age, everyone. So I was, I was above 21, but I, I think, you know, I definitely had to have a couple of drinks before I had the, the motivation to have that talk. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Well, you know, I really admire you and, and Jeff and Ryan. I always have what you guys go through on a day-to-day -day basis. I could never imagine. I can see it all I want. Even if I am blessed enough to see it for the next hundred years with Ryan, I'll never truly know what you guys go through. So, I mean, thank you for pulling the curtain back and letting us get a glimpse in. And so I guess I would just leave it with what has CF taught you about life and about yourself? It's mm, a good question. You know, when you live life, you're almost kind of molded with your experiences. So just going through the experience with Jeff and then my own experiences, it's given me, I guess, more mental strength than I think I give myself or even Rye credit for. I just think we're used to, and it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, good and bad things. You know, it's bad that you've, you even have all that experience and, you know, you've been through and seen a lot of bad stuff, but, you know, it makes the more trivial things in your life, you know, exactly that, just trivial. You have the stomach to kind of get by the little things and you know, just, you know, worry about the larger things. And it's such a cliche to say the whole, like, you know, treat every day like it's your last. I'm not saying, you know, I go out on a, a bungee jump or jump off the bridge for fun to live every day like it's my last, but like, it, it is kind of how, in my eyes, you have to live. The last five years have just been very sick, probably the sickest I've ever been in my life. And it was just kind of one of those things where you do just need to treat it like a day, a full 24 hours is almost kind of one battle and then you get to the next day and you just got to keep doing that. And, you know, I always used to say it to my mom is like, I just need to fight today to kind of push whatever's going to happen tomorrow, keep pushing it out and keep pushing it out. And, you know, that's kind of how I always personally, you know, got by. And I think there's just a lot of, I mean, naturally negatives with CF, but it, there is a lot of positives. I mean, the family's very, very close. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't trade this life for, a quote unquote healthy normal life, but our family's been through a lot and you know, we're a very close family, been through a lot of hardships growing up. It's just kind of taught me, the, and again, going back to what we were saying before, I mean, as you get older, you mature. I think once you're kind of out of that whole like high school, college phase where, you know, friends are life and friends are everything, you know, at the end of the day, family is everything. And, you know, I don't know if, I'd be the same person if I didn't have the family support during this time. I, I think more than anything, as bad as CF is physically, and it's very bad, it's not, not going to sugarcoat it. I feel very healthy now, but the last five years of my life were tough. But as bad as the physical was, 
the mental was 10 times worse. And, you know, I think we speak a lot about this when we go to the doctors and, you know, there's a bunch of programs about physical strength and, you know, how are you going to get better physically? But I think, you know, hospitals need to do a little bit better job of how, how are patients going to do mentally? I mean, it's, it's awfully tough not being able to get out of bed for weeks. And then, like I was saying, have the motivation to look at tomorrow and be like, oh, well, tomorrow's another day. I mean, when you put, when you kind of string together year after year after year of just being hospital, three months later, hospital, six months later, hospital, just the mental aspect of CF is something uh, where like, I wouldn't wish it upon like my worst enemy. So things like that have taught me again, back to the stupid cliche, but live every day. Like it's your last and, you know, just keep fighting and, you know, just fight for tomorrow. I mean, today is today. And you, again, like you were saying early, you can only do so much and then tomorrow you do more and then, you know, you can't really look ahead. Yeah. I think that's it. Right. I mean, you're fighting today. Um, I know you're saying about the last five years, it was very hard to watch you be so sick. But you know, your, your description of saying that every 24 hours is a battle, I'm just glad that every day you got up and tried again because look where you are now. And I can only you know, imagine what's gonna be in the future for you and Sandra and your family. And I look forward to being part of it. And again, I'm just glad to be part of your team. Okay, Matt, the floor is yours. What final thoughts would you like to leave with us today? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this question. When it comes to this topic, I am for the most part very private and don't love talking about it openly. The thing I didn't want to do was list everyone out as I was afraid someone would be left out, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try my best. I'll try to keep this short, but here we go. I just wanted to take this time to thank everyone in my life for everything they have done for me. I mentioned it before, but I don't think my family and close friends like RC, Kelvin, Swanee, Jordan, Buckley, to name just a few, will ever truly know what they mean to me. It's not really something I can fully express through words or a podcast. Whether it be the Corys, the Higgs, my cousins, my siblings, or the Montoyas, everyone, like I said before, has played a, a pivotal role in who I've become and always been willing to help me when times get tough. John and Rye, I've always considered you like brothers, and Little Mare, you are the youngest of the bunch who we all love very much. I'll always remember the times we spent with the cousins and doing nothing else but laughing <laughs> and cracking jokes on each other. Uh, as you know, Ryan and I went to middle school, high school, and college together while having about 316 sleepovers during that time and 3 million games of horse. As Ryan said, <laughs> CF is not the best club to be in, but if I'm going to be in a club, I'm glad I have two of my best friends, Jeff and Ryan, here with me. To mom, dad, Sandra, Meg, Katie, and the boys, Gavin and Dylan, thank you for always loving me and treating me like a normal person and always being patient with me when I was sick and irritable. I think probably more than anyone, my mom, who's always been with me at my appointments and staying over in the hospital for 33 years, unfortunately, where my mom had to run into irritable Matt more than a few times. I know that was never easy for my mom, and I take none of that for granted, and I'm forever sorry. I've been out of the hospital for almost one year now, and as great as that has been for me personally, it makes me even happier knowing that I've kept my mom, Sandra, and the rest of the family from having to go back to the hospital. The support and love I received is something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Sandra, you are my rock. The moment I told you about CF, you jumped into this life head on and we never looked back. You've always been so understanding 
and have stood right by my side through all the ups and downs. I love you all very much. And lastly, to Jeff, or as we call the furnace, I originally wasn't sure I wanted to go this route because it's still a little too fresh for me, but I think there won't be an opportunity again like this to get out off my chest. Me and Jeff had a funny big brother, little brother relationship growing up. We are both very competitive, sarcastic guys who love movies, playing manhunt or kick the can in our Lansing Road neighborhood, or later on in life going to NCAA basketball games together, having Beirut tournaments that didn't always put Jeff in the best mood when his younger brother and best friend down the street, Jordan, would win every tournament, and just laughing, cracking jokes at all times, and enjoying each other's company. I'll always remember trips like Comic-Con in Dallas to see the Cowboys, because not only did I love them, but Jeff was in his absolute element, and it was just a chance for me to kind of sit back and just be able to see how excited he was during those trips. I never looked at those trips as the last trips, because he didn't allow that. There's no time for that when uh, Harrison Ford is on stage. Inside joke, Jeff loves Star Wars, Star Wars. With Jeff, I always had someone right next door that even when he was going through things a hundred times harder than me, he just showed me to work harder than everyone else in the room, even when I was at my lowest points in life. Even though my mom is the CF expert and my family knows so much about CF, with Jeff, he was just someone I could always go to whenever I had questions, comments, or concerns because he dealt with it all firsthand at the highest level. I won't have that anymore, but the lessons and hard talks we would have will forever stick with me. Like my sisters said on their podcasts, Jeff was and is our idol. As corny as it sounds, and Jeff would hate me saying this, but you know he is our Tony Stark, he's our Steve Rogers. He just always gave us that continued confidence that he was gonna beat whatever was in his way. It's not something I'll truly ever get over, but knowing that wherever I go, I see him. At the very least, he puts me at ease to know he, he'll always be there in my everyday life and watching over us. I rarely, if not ever, speak of this day, but on Jeff's last day after he passed, I was scared and said, what am I supposed to do now? But looking back, I don't know why I asked that because I already had the answer. Jeff gave me the blueprint. His life and his words showed me what I'm supposed to do, not only now, but going forward. I know my mission and, and I know what I need to do. I just want to wrap this up by telling Jeff, I'll take care of the family down here and continue to work on Gavin and Dylan's love for the Cowboys. And I know you're taking care of the family up there. We all love you and we miss you every day. Lastly, Caitlin, I just want to thank you for putting all this together. This couldn't have been an easy thing to do. And you have made all of us feel very comfortable speaking about this topic. You should be very proud of what you have done here. When you get what you want, but not what you need When you feel so tired, but you can't sleep Stuck in rivers And the tears come streaming down your face When you lose something can't replace when you love someone but it goes to waste could it be worse 
How you son? He made the team this year? I, they say he wasn't tall enough. All the glitter is my goal. Well, yeah, we gonna cook this son. Our goal is not reality. That's your new girlfriend? This is family business. And this is for the family that can't be with us. And this is for my cousin locked down. All the answers in us. This is why I spit it in my song. So sweet like a photo where your granny's pitching out at you gone and hit us. Super hard on Thanksgiving and Christmas, this can't be right. Yo, you heard the track I did, man, this can't be life. Somebody please say grace so I can save face and have a reason to cover my face. I even made you a play. So fool, know how granny do it. Monkey bread on the side, know how the family do it. When I brought her, why the car had to look all through it? As kids, we used to laugh. Who knew that life would move this fast? Who knew I'd have to look at you through a glass? And look, you tell me you ain't did it, then you ain't did it. And if you did, then that's family business. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. You are the grand finale, you and Matt. Cool, thank you. So you know it's been a very emotional month, uh, launching this series, collaborating with your families, discussing cystic fibrosis in great detail, uh, physically, mentally, what it looks like for each member of the family. And just like I said to Matt, I feel very honored to have each of you on. Because in order to close the circle, it's best to hear what CF is like firsthand for somebody who lives with it every day. So thank you for being on. Oh, thank you so much for this, you know, experience, therapeutic and just cathartic. Yeah, I hoped that it would be, well, I knew it would be extremely difficult to discuss in detail and sort of like go there so to speak I knew it would be difficult but I just hope and it seems like everyone looking back on their experience recording and sort of discussing CF I think that everybody sort of looks at it like it was just that therapeutic and I know for me both of your families have welcomed me in since day one and I wanted to sort of do something for them and so to memorialize all of our voices, all of our stories, to keep Jeff's memory alive, this just seemed like the best thing to do to accomplish all those things. Yeah, as well as being a great you know, family archive for everyone to look back at later on and future generations to just get a grasp of what it is in a way. Absolutely. And I do think that by you guys all opening up, and sharing your perspectives, that that can help other people out there, right? Who, if they have a sibling with CF, a child with CF, a spouse with CF, or they themselves have cystic fibrosis, I think that you all opening up your hearts and your minds and sort of pulling that curtain back and letting us in, I think that can really be a tool 
for helping others who battle CF in some form or another sort of not feel alone, not feel isolated, not feel different. Because a theme that's been running through all of these interviews and episodes is that, you know, you, Matt, and Jeff have always been treated normally by your parents, by your siblings, by your friends. And I know as Matt has expressed, that's sort of the greatest gift you can give someone with CF or any illness is to treat them normal, to treat them like everybody else, because you are, you know. We always say the normal, what is normal? There is no normal. But this is your normal, and you guys are typical. You guys are dynamic. You do have many layers to your personality. CF is not the only identifier for any of you. So, yeah, we just want the CF community to hear this and to feel like they too are typical, that even though this is their normal, they are normal, and they deserve love and to give love and to receive love like you, Matt, and Jeff have been wrapped up in love your whole lives. And everyone deserves that. Without a doubt. So now I'm excited and curious to dive into your experience with CF. Yes. Um, So why don't you take the floor, introduce yourself, and then we'll go. Sounds great. So I'm Ryan Corey. I am 34. I am an actor out in L.A. (laughs) And I have cystic fibrosis, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you are my husband. Yes, and you're my beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, just like Matt and Jeff, you were diagnosed early on, close to birth. Yes, I mean, I'm not sure exactly, maybe three days later, you know, obviously I don't remember. So, but yes, birth, we yes. can say. <laughs> okay, so CF has always been a part of your life. It has, you know, and that's like the unique part about CF. You know, and why it's kind of, it's not, I mean... It's hard to talk about because it's, there's so much there, it's ever-evolving, you know, you're always working things out, so, you know, I could say a bunch of stuff today, but, like, a year from now could be different, because I may look at things differently a year from now, because I'm always, I always just try to, you know, break things down, you know what I do, you know. I do overthink sometimes, but I try to look at things through a different lens, if it helps, just like a film director, it's like, hey, let's try this shot, because that shot didn't work. So I'm always doing that, so I may leave something out today, and I may be mad about it later, but I may think about it differently. But the unique part about CF is there is no before, right? It's just you have it, you deal with it through life, and there is no like, oh, oh, and I didn't have CF, life was like this. It's like, no, there is, you're always the, like, you're always just now. There's no before. So it's hard. Sometimes it's, it's just hard to talk about. And that's a very you know clear way to describe it and I like that it's because sort of like CF is all-encompassing right so there is no before and as of right now there is really no after but obviously we're hoping one day that there will be and that one day future generations will be able to have CF and have it be cured and then look back and say wow life was different then but where we are right now CF is all-encompassing and they you know the same way that CF is in every cell of your body CF is in every cell of your body, meaning that you can't, you know, take days off. You can't just put it to the side and go about something else. You're sort of always trying to find that tricky balance of living the life you want to live and then living this life that you have to live, you know, this obligation that you have, the work you need to do every day. And I imagine that that can be very cumbersome and overwhelming. Exactly. I mean, you do, in a way, grieve, you know your life in a way like losses and then 
you're looking at it differently, like I said, and, you know, there are, when I mean before, there is somewhat of an after, because, you know, you do look at things differently, so it's like, oh, there is a small after, I get a small victory, because I'm looking at it differently, and I can paint it better. I think I'm always a huge proponent of, like, perception is everything, and perspective is so important, and, yeah, I think you're right, you know, because the more you reflect and the more you go inward and look at yourself and analyze, like I know you love to do, like you're a massive overthinker. Yes. It's a double-edged sword. It is. It's good and bad, but you're right, you know, I guess I didn't think of that. Of course, you overthought it, so you got there, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't think of that. It's sort of like, there can be an after, right? Because you don't have to live in this fear. You don't have to live in this sadness all the time. The more you dig deeper and the more, you know, you go inward, and like you said, look through things, look at things through a different lens, you can gain insight, you can gain a new perspective, you can change your opinion about certain things. And what I like what you said is it's ever evolving, you know, like things you say on this podcast, first of all, we'll never be able to like, capture every part of CF. And I don't think that's our intention, because that's too tall of an order. It's true. But you know, the conversation will change. And if every year we did a podcast about CF, which I promise I won't make you do. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, you know, you will gain new insight. You'll have different perspectives. And the beautiful thing too is that, you know, right now while we sit here in our bedroom and we're recording this, there are people in labs and there are doctors in hospitals working so hard for that next med, for that next advancement that maybe, you know, every year that we, you know, figuratively do this podcast every year that you're growing and doing introspection, things can be changing medically as well as, you know, our family has seen so much in the last year. Meds can make a big difference, new therapies, you know, they're working on their scientific side of it. And as long as you continue to work on the personal side of it, then maybe there can be a true after. That's a great point. And, you know, like you were saying, you know, looking at things differently, you know, CF in a way is almost like like art in a way, you know, it's like a picture where like, you know, someone might say, oh, I see this. Well, it's like, oh, I see that. You know, I, I, find, I find art to be wild because interpretation is so fascinating to me. You know, obviously as an actor, I, it's great to pick up a pair of sides and just break them down and be like, oh, this is how I view the character. But I do that with CF. It's like if CF were a painting or whatever analogy you'd like to use, it's like, well, I can see, I see this now. And you guys might see that, but that's what I see. Yeah, and, and there's no right or wrong. And sometimes it helps me mentally to view it in a different way. You know, be like, look at a picture. I see like five dragons. You guys see like a tree. It's like whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's different for everyone. And, and as we see in our own family, CF, while it has many common, you know, elements for every patient, of course, like you're going to have some overlap with every patient who has CF, but it is case by case, as we've learned in this podcast throughout this entire series. There there are different things that you go through versus Matt versus Jeff. It's different for everyone. So you're right. Perception is key. And like, I sort of look to like, you can describe CF in a million ways, right? So you're looking at it like art. I look at it like a puzzle, like that, like a Rubik's cube you're trying to solve. What's the best way? How can I get there faster? I think for you, you're a very competitive person by nature. You're a natural born athlete. I think you're always trying to figure out a new way, a new angle. How can I be better, stronger? And I really admire that about you because it's almost like every day, and Matt and I talked about this, you know, too, like every day is a battle, right? So it's a 24 hour battle and you're just trying to get through that one day. But what I love about you, and I'm sure Matt and Jeff have done this in their life, you are looking for that competitive edge. What can I do to sort of like beat CF? Like, 
I, I did describe it in the intro of this, like, battle scenes, right, from a movie. You guys are movie buffs. <laughs> CF is the dragon you're trying to slay. CF is the part of the movie that's the bad guy, and you guys are the heroes, and you guys are trying to always get the bad guy, you know? And, and so no matter which way you look at it, how you can view CF in your mind, it's important that you do give it that weight and that thought because it deserves that, right? Because it's such a big part of your life that I think it's worth all these thoughts. It's worth these conversations. It's worth a pause because it's something so big. Yeah, and it's, you know, for a while, and, you know, I used to have to tell myself, like, calm down. I became obsessed with, like, you know, finding, like, a crack or a weakness in CF. I was like, you got to calm down. You know, it's just like... You know, I'd be at a clinic sometimes and, you know, you know, you see like 97 people and they'll be like, oh, like, you know, you have any, you have any questions. I'm always like in my head, like, um, yeah, how do I win? It's just like, I became obsessed with it. I had to calm down be like, you know, just start enjoying things. Like you don't have to like push yourself to this limit, you know, because even if CF does not have a crack or a weakness, it does not matter. It helps my mental health to think that there is because yeah. it keeps me going. Mm-hmm. I'll be like pushing myself and I'll be joking being like yo right what the hell are you training for you know like what what are you doing you know I mean I do enjoy it of course but like it was always an obsession and like you know I am very competitive and I'm very competitive with CF it's like it helps me it's just just helps me mentally to look at it from that you know vantage point it's like in a way I was like I felt like sick in the head it's like you know you're treating it like this weird game right I mean, I think it makes sense, and as crazy as it sounds like you felt, like, thinking that, I think, it, like, as an outsider, it makes sense, right? Because I think someone described CF like it's a opponent that never tires. Like you said, there's no crack. Like, it, it never runs out of steam, and you may. And so I think what's important in the realization that you came to is that, yes, you do have to strategize. Yes, every day you do have to battle. Every day you have to wake up and still look for the crack. But what I like about what you said and this change in your demeanor is that you told yourself to calm down. Like you don't want to drive yourself up a wall. You do have to pace yourself because this is a lifelong battle in the same way as if it was a battle scene in a movie, like it wouldn't just be quick and one and done. Like it's an ongoing thing. It's a long journey. So I think it was really wise to have that conversation with yourself and say, listen, I have to be competitive. That's my nature. I want to win. I want to do my best, but I can't let this take over my entire mental space. It can't rent that much space in your head because then you won't have space for the things that you love. Exactly. And, you know, obviously I give myself pep talks and, you know, I've moved past that obsession and now I just, you know, have, you know, routines that I do and that works. You know, you just have to go through that mental journey. Yeah, it's definitely a mental journey. And, and Matt touched on this a bit as well, saying that CF is clearly and obviously a physical disease. But he was saying, which I fully agree with, that it's almost just as much, and you let me know if you agree, a mental journey. Like, a, it challenges your mental health. It's it's a mental game as much as a physical game. Would you agree with that? I do, just because, you know, CF's so, like, interesting, you know, meeting various people with it. You know, I actually have, ironically, a couple friends out here with it. And yeah, CF, I agree with that. I mean, the physical part is so such case by case. And yeah, it's physical, no doubt about that, about weight, you know, trying to gain muscle. There is a little bit of a physical challenge, but I completely think the mental part is, smokes that. It just, it, 
you know, there's no competition in my mind. The mental is way more than the physical. But that's also just from my perspective and my viewpoint, so... Yeah, of course, we'll add the caveat that you're only speaking for yourself, exactly. of course, because as we said before, it is case by case and everyone will have a different experience. And there may be people with CF who have a totally different outlook than you, and that's their journey and they're entitled to those opinions. But this is just, you know, pulling back the curtain and giving us a peek into your life and your views and how you handle it. I think too, and then I'm just speculating and you can obviously jump in. I think as much as it's a physical game, like we say, the physical side of it has so many tools, okay? We have medicine, we have nebulizers, we have vests, we have PT, we have so many things to battle, like so many weapons to work with, to battle CF physically. And I think what Matt was touching on, which I know that you and I have discussed this in, at length, is that there aren't as many clear cut tools for the mental side of it. You know, we don't have a vest for your mind, like, mm. And to give everyone a background, the vest is like a, a tool you use to shake up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they may not know what that is. Um, but, you know, we don't have nebulizers for your mind. We don't have like, you know, it's just a little bit of an uncharted territory. It's a little bit more difficult to find that right concoction of medicine or tools or coping mechanisms to work on the mental side as much as we have on the physical side. So, yes, the physical side is vicious, of course, but you are a little bit more well-equipped, if that makes sense. The mental side is a little bit more obscure. So like you said, you're always thinking, you're always searching, you're always looking for a new lens, a new perspective. I think maybe that's why it's a little harder because it's a little less clear of what to do. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, physically you can almost make up like, you know, kind of an outline of what to do in a way, you know, case by case, of course. But yeah, mentally, yeah, you just, doesn't matter if you've never been hospitalized or you have or whatever you've gone through the mental part is always there no matter what because the physical part yeah it can be great you know it can be not I don't want to say easy but there's an outline you can follow right I just when I mean it's easy it's easy in the way that you can follow it it's not really overthought as mm -hmm. opposed to the mental side yeah going back to our film analogies and acting since you're an actor it's like the physical side has a script and the mental side is improv. You just don't know how it's gonna go and you have to keep practicing at it and you have to keep working on it and on those skills to get better. And it's hard and it's a lifelong journey, both physically and mentally. And the thing about CF is, and I think people like Matt said it too, like out of sight, out of mind. I think people think, you know, obviously not our family or people who are directly involved, but that when you're not in the hospital, like that it's all good, yeah. you know, that you know, so it's not like a sometimes you're in the hospital type of thing and then otherwise you're just living this other life. It's like every day you're doing meds, every day you're doing therapies, every day you're working out, eating right, doing the things that you're, like you said, like your outline, which is like the hard part, right? Like when you work so hard at work, you get accolades. When you work hard at sports and you succeed, you win, you get a trophy. If you make a movie and it's great, you get an award. But when you work hard at CF, the only prize it's just not staying in the, like, just not being in the hospital. It's like what everyone else, not everyone, of course, but, like, what most people just get to do anyway. You know, the reward is good health, of course, but, like, there's no applause. And I think, you know, if you're, think about it, if you're working hard every day in and out at work and you're not getting recognized, you'd be frustrated. And it's like, if you're working hard every day, I think what's hard about CF is to maintain that level of stamina. Because every day you're doing the same thing day in, day out. It's difficult. 
I wonder, you know, where you guys get the motivation and the stamina and the endurance to keep going every day. Like, do you ever have days that you just are like, I really don't want to do my meds today. I just don't, I just don't want to have CF today, but you guys can't really afford to do that. So how do you like balance that in your mind? Do those days exist? Yes, of course they do. But what I do is it's that competitive nature. When CF breathes life into me, I always immediately become the Grim Reaper to that. Yeah, I just, like, I find that, <laughs> like, rewarding. It's like an invisible victory. It's like, yeah, like you said, no one sees, like, what you're doing and no one sees what you're going through and, like, these victories you have. You just, you have to have it with, like, the reflection. Just yourself. It's just, well, I'm doing this. I'm getting pumped because I think I'm winning. Mm. So that helps me. It's just that, that competitive edge that I guess I never got out in sports. It just, it carried over to CF. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about this in other, um, you know, episodes of this series with other family members of yours. But growing up, CF physically wasn't a big um, burden on you. You were very blessed, you know, the case by case thing again. Like you had a very typical childhood, not a lot of hospitalizations, and you were an athlete. And I think uh, from our discussions, what I gather from that is that your first, you know, brush with CF taking something from you or your first loss was sports because you are a natural born athlete. Your dad, you know, and your brother and your sister and even your mom, I think like everyone was mentioning how you're such a good athlete and you love sports, so competitive. And I think that that was sort of, if I can, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was sort of your first loss from CF is losing that stamina to continue with sports and, and not being able to reach your full potential. So how did you deal with that first loss yeah I mean like you said I, I was very blessed to and I'm always always been aware of that that CF didn't affect me as much growing up and like I said very lucky for that but yes I, I do look at sports as a topic that you know for a while it's like so hard you know to talk about and, you know, I was like, I put sports in a box and, you know, you just throw it. It's like, I'm never touching that, you know? And, yeah, of course I appreciate, you know, my family and the athlete they saw. But, you know, I, I do, where I used to get sad, like, thinking, you know, you have expectations and you have hopes. And, like, I had so many like expectations for myself like I, you know I, I want to play sports with my brother like growing up like when you're a young buck it's like you know like I said I was so lucky so I was just thinking well I'm gonna play something in college like it might take me somewhere you know division three division two I don't know what sport because I enjoyed all of them but you know you have these expectations and you know I looked at my brother and I was like I want to just how cool it would have been to just you know play with him and have that experience but you know, after a while, you know, like I said, I put sports in that box and I was like, I'm never going to touch that. And I used to just think like, okay, well, hey, at least I got to play. And, you know, for a while that just didn't work. You know, that wasn't helping me mentally. And, you know, like I said, I overthink. I like to unpack things. I like to just look at it differently. So I was like, okay, after a while I started to you know, look at sports, and I started to unpack that box, and, you know, and I want to 
you know, talk to my dad and my brother specifically, and even like a younger version of myself, like that 16-year-old kid who was frustrated and was sad and wasn't understanding, like, why is this being taken right now? Like, I'm just about to pop. Like, I can feel it. So I basically, I don't want my brother and my dad, and like I said, that younger version of myself, to carry this weight, you know, Carrying emotional weight is, like, so heavy. It's hard, you know? It's hard to take with you, especially if you don't touch it. So, you know, it's like if you're, if you're in a car and you're looking out the window and it's like, oh, man, like, look at this place. Like, look at these rough patches of grass where flowers could be or, you know, a tree that's barren. It's just, hey, if you put water there, this could have been a beautiful area. It's like, okay, well, I saw that. I saw everything, you know, my younger self saw, my brother and my dad. I get it. I had those same expectations of what could have been. I went down rabbit holes that was like, you know, they were hard to get out of. It's like a room with no exit doors. It's like, I, I got to get out of here. This isn't healthy. So, you know, if you're in that car, it's like, okay. Now, let me tell you what I see. You know, I, I don't look out that window anymore. I don't go down these rabbit holes, these paths, I'm looking through that sunroof, right? I'm looking at the beautiful sky, you know, the sun, the endless possibilities. So I started thinking, you know, if I could tell those three people, those three individuals in my life, when I look at Jim Patrick, my dad, and that younger version of myself, I would tell them, you know, don't worry. You know, the athlete you guys all saw, you know, I am him. It took so long to get there. It's like, I've actually never not been him. I'm just, I'm playing on a different level, you know? And the way I view it now, it's, it's like, you know, there's elements that make up an athlete, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, like Jeff, Matt, and I are the best athletes. And I don't mean to take away from anybody. What everyone's ever accomplished athletically, of course, I'm never gonna take that away. And I started breaking it down. Okay, Jeff, Matt, and I, we go through more physically, right? Back and forth, weight, muscle, back and forth. So we're going through so much physically. And the mental warfare is insane. It's just as hard, excuse me, actually, it's harder than an athlete. And we face a much tougher opponent. And there are no days off. So I started looking at it like, okay, that's really helping. It's like, oh, I didn't get to play in a field or a court and do what I felt like I could have done. But I found my own playing field. And I had two great teammates with me. I think that was a beautiful way to describe it. And it, it's clear, you know, while you are an overthinker and how we said it can be a, a double-edged sword, I think, you know, the positive side of being an overthinker is that you do have this great outlook that you are able to sort of, like... Like, clearly in that description, you've given that a lot of thought. That that was not something you just came to overnight. That that took a lot of frustration, mental anguish, tears, anger, probably all the elements of grief, right? Like, all the stages of grief. And it seems like, now not to say, like, anyone else grieving, you go back and forth with those stages, right? When you come to acceptance, you don't just stay there and land there. That would be too easy. With grief, as we all know... 
grief and healing are not linear. So you can go backwards and forwards. You're always between these stages of grief. And it seems like when you come to conclusions like that, that's when you're at the acceptance phase. You know, you're able to accept what's happening. Now, that's not to say you'll always feel that way because it goes back to we'll have this conversation in a year and you may feel differently. But I'm sure when you finally do get there to that acceptance phase, even if it's for a brief moment, do you find some sort of peace in that, even if it's just fleeting? I do. Yeah, I found I find more peace in that than ever before, how I used to look at it. You know, it's just like, you know, I guess it's accepting it, but it's not, you know, because I am still doing it, you know? Yeah. Because I found out with my mental health that I wouldn't say it's a fearless aspect. I believe CF and fearless, you're just kind of born with it. You know, you just don't fear certain things. But when it comes to my mental health, I, I find and I keep finding that I have to be absolutely ruthless to protect it. And yes, I'll unpack things to make it be better, to make it look better in my eyes. I mean, it's clearly always going to be a heavy weight. And, you know, if you describe it like baggage, like literal baggage, like luggage, you know, you open up your suitcase and there's a lot in there, you know, it's stuffed, packed full. Okay. It's hard to get through. You're looking for your favorite shirt. You're looking, you're looking, but it's such a mess in there that you can't see anything clearly. You can't find what you're looking for. But it seems like what you're doing with your thought process is taking everything out of the suitcase, okay? Item by item and folding it perfectly, all every corner, and stacking it as neatly as possible. It doesn't change the weight of the luggage, but it makes it a little bit easier to get through. And I think that is sort of a gift because... If you're always sort of just trudging through your mental health and you just can't find anything and you can't find any conclusions and you can't find any peace, that is a long and difficult life. But if you can unpack your baggage and make it as neat as possible, it's still going to be heavy, but it might be a little bit easier to manage and maneuver. I completely agree. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you taught me to be an overthinker no, <laughs> over the past <laughs> decade. <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately... Loss is a big part of CF, right? I mean, it's inevitable and it's heartbreaking. And I don't think there's any way to, to think your way out of that, okay? It's always going to be just the sad reality. And I know that your physical sports and athletic career was your first loss. But that wasn't your only loss, of course. Of course not, no. I think, you know, if we're on the same page, I would venture to guess that your next big loss was when we did IVF. Yes. And so how yeah. did that look for you? I sort of already a little bit went into it with Sandra. Yeah, man, that was great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> IVF was a hard, you know, it was a hard thing to process because, you know, not to be biased, but like, you know, you are amazing with children. You know, everyone knows that you're like the child whisperer, you know. <laughs> I remember being at Ralph's, which is our grocery store, and this was a couple of years ago. I think I went to a different aisle to go get something, and you were there, and like this kid, who must have been two or three, just like like came running up to you for like a hug. And I did like a double take. I was like, "What the, was that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yes, like he saw Caitlin. Got it." <laughs> and um. You know, IVF in general, as you touched upon with Sandra, it's obviously very emotional, 
you know, never mind the, you know, financial part of it, of course, but there's so much emotion and like, you're not expecting it to go wrong. You know, maybe why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're going to be optimistic. You're going to think this is great. Like what could go wrong? You know, we're doing it. And, you know, I was 29 going my 30th year and I was like, this is a great, this is going to be a great birthday present, right? <laughs> and, you know, as we know, <laughs> it was, it did not happen. And, you know, a lot of, you know, there's some stuff people don't know about me. I am prone to like depression, you know, it is separate from CF. You know, it comes in and out of my life, and sometimes, like I said, those do collide. But, you know, depression with me just, you know, I can spiral a little bit, and, you know, depression, it's very, very powerful. It's scary sometimes. It basically, it, you know, I'm very blessed in my life with an abundance of love for, my, for myself, and I've never questioned that. Even when I've been spiraling, I never question people's love for me. But depression takes away your self-love. It's very scary. It takes like a sledgehammer to yourself and it makes you feel like nothing. And, you know, it's hard to get out of, but you do. You get better experience every time. But, you know, IVF was so hard because I felt so incredibly guilty. <laughs> like, you know, I started hating myself. Like, oh my God, like, you altered Caitlin's life so bad you know it felt as though i committed a crime and i was never going to be caught and that guilt was so powerful you know and it was hard to get out of because like i said you know you were such a mother already you know <laughs> and it was a hard hole because i was like oh you know i felt selfish for wanting to like I felt selfish for marrying you. I felt selfish for like altering your life. It was, it was hard to just dissect. And it's something that, you know, I've come out of, you know, I've been out for a little bit, you know, something I still go back and forth with, like, you know, just thinking that I altered your life and how selfish I feel. And it just felt wrong. Like, like, Rod, man, you should've just been alone. Like, you know, it would've been fine. You wouldn't have done this to someone, but, you know, IVF, yeah, it was a hard time, and it's so funny, <laughs> you know, during that IVF, you know, it, it kind of kick-started, like, probably the worst span of my life, because after IVF, you know, Jeff became sick, and, you know, it's so, like, Jeff, you know, to me, I, I can never say enough things about him, you know? But like, the funny part about IVF is, you know, I, I wish I had the text. You know, I've got a new phone since then, but, you know, Jeff just checked on me. It was, it was, I think about a month or two before the Dallas trip he went on. And, you know, he was just checking on me. And, you know, I was like, I don't know, man, I think I want to, like, move home. Like, I don't know, I was kind of spiraling. I was like, this acting thing is so stupid. Like, what am I doing? And, you know, you just, that, like I said, that depression, that self self-love and you know I told him when I go home and he texts me back like ha really you know question mark 
He's like, I never thought you'd say that. And I remember going to myself like, oh, wicked sweet. Jeff doesn't want me home. (laughs) But that was just Jeff just, you know, pushing me. You know, I know, yes, he would love to have had me home. But he was just looking out for me. You know, hey, like, this is okay. Just stay. It's going to work out. And, you know, I was, like I said, Jeff... I used, always used to joke to Jeff, you know, I'd be like, hey, Jeff, you know, it's like your first student, right? Because <laughs> I, I really do believe that. You know, I learned, I learned so much from him. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm not the type of person who gets, like, starstruck, you know, being out here, you know. But, like, Jeff was, like, a celebrity to me. <laughs> like, I remember just, you know, like, every... Every time I ever saw him from every age, he just, I was in awe of him. And as we know, like, I emulated him. You know, I mean, a lot of who I am is so much Jeff. Because I was just, you know, so fond of him. You know, his humor, his outlook. It was, it was the best education you ever could have had. And, you know... I know Jeff loves Han Solo, you know, and I was always like, yeah, Han's cool, you know. I was like, Jeff, but, like, you're Obi-Wan, you know, like, you're teaching us all the ways, and you you don't even know. And I'm so appreciative of that. You know, I mean, you know, Jeff was sick, and, you know, I never thought Jeff was going anywhere, you know. He always just beat everything. And, you know, when when Jeff passed away, that was, you know, (laughs) that was such an easy spiral, you know. And during that spiral, I ended up getting hospitalized, like, five times in, like, 14 months. And I was just, like, I was in, like, the worst spot, you know, I've ever been in. And... And I didn't want to mention during that time, you know, your brother, Brian, you know, moved in with us. And I do want to give Brian a little shout out because, you know, Brian helped me a lot <laughs> by just, you know, Brian walking in with that huge smile he has. And, you know, he, you know, he distracted me a little bit, you know, just playing NBA 2K for hours or Brian coming to visit me in the hospital and just, just, it was always just joking around. And, you know, movies and teaching Bri about some movies. <laughs> and I just want to thank Bri because I, I love him so much. You know, he, he helped me more than he probably knows. But, you know, the area of Jeff is, is hard. Because, you know, I'll never really go down that path. Because I just, I learned so much from him. You know, even as an actor, you know. You know, you know how I do, like, you know, scenes, and I do eye lines, you know, there's five people in a room, you gotta, like, maybe put up a post-it note, like, hey, look this way, this way, and, you know, Jeff calms me down, because, you know, I'll have auditions and scenes, and I place Jeff in that room, because even if, you know, I don't get this part, right, and if no one sees this, well, at least Jeff gets to see it. And I know how much he loved me being out here. And like I said, him jokingly not wanting me to come home. 
you know, because he wanted me to be out here. And, you know, I'm indebted to him for that. And, you know, the part I feel so, like, weirdly blessed about and, you know, obviously it's been touched upon is the three of us. And although, yeah, of course we all went through different things, but I was so fortunate to have Matt and Jeff because it was almost like a head nod to each other. Like, I was up, like, you know, like, it was like, it was like a, a comfortable head nod. Like, we all knew what we were going through at various times and you just knew. It was like a, a silent, like, okay. And I'm so appreciative of them because, you know, they helped me in such different ways. You know, I mean, Matt, <laughs> it's no secret Matt's like obviously my best friend, you know. I mean, I've known Matt for like my whole life and he's helped me in, in stages of my life that you know, he doesn't know. You know, I did have a hard time at first, you know, transitioning into Barrington. And it was just the depression. It was just the self-love. It had nothing to do with the move. I simply was a young kid and I had trouble fitting in, you know? And Matt was just always there for me, you know, always wanting to hang out with me. And I was always like, you know, that self-love would be like, I hope Matt wants to keep hanging out with me. <laughs> Because I love hanging out with him, but you know, of course, you know, Matt and I were in different grades and I always used to wish like, oh man, like what if Matt and I were in the same grade? Like it's never, I never would have had this bout of depression in, you know, the seventh grade and, and you know, he was just always there to hang out with. And, you know, I realized, you know, I was like, I want to go to college with Matt, you know, and I hope he does too. <laughs> and obviously we did and it was... I, that wish came true. We were in the same grade, you know, because I did a year of community college after high school, and it happened, and I was like, oh, this is like, it was, this was my dream. Like, it's Matt and I, you know, let's, and college was everything and better that I had ever imagined, and Matt was just always, Matt always makes me feel safe. You know, if, you know, I could put it in terms of like, you know, almost Rhode Island symbolism is like if CF and, or depression or both and from my perspective represented some sort of open ocean right the sea and it's deep it's dark it's mysterious you know there's treasure there too you have to look for it even though sometimes it's very hard you know I picture all you guys like on the dock you know waving at me cheering me on you know my mom my dad everyone loves me and some of you can even dip your toes in the water, right? But ultimately, like, I have to go out there when I embark on something. And, you know, you get further and further in. And there's haze and fog. And you don't, I don't, you know, I can hear you guys. You know, but I don't see you anymore. So, you know, Jeff represented that lighthouse, right? That, like, indestructible force smack dab in, like, the heart of the ocean. Never wavering facing like the harshest conditions and standing straight up, never going anywhere. And that light is shining for like a thousand miles, navigating it, making sure I don't hit this area, that area. And, you know, when I do hit those rough waters or, you know, I feel as though I'm about to capsize and excuse me for these nautical terms. I don't know them all, but oh, Mary, you can probably help me with those nautical terms. You know, when that does happen, I, I look up and I see Jeff. It's like, okay, 
I feel okay, I'm good, because Jeff's navigating it for me. And then I look to my right, and Matt's right there, like he always has been. You know, he's either throwing me a life jacket or helping me up, even when he doesn't realize he does. So basically, I'm forever grateful that I never really felt alone, you know? And I still don't. I still look at Jeff as a lighthouse. I view that as a kid, you know, to this day, I'll never not think that. It's such a beautiful picture that you've painted for us. So, in sticking with that, what would you like to say to the people standing on the dock? <laughs> um, you know, I want to think, you know, it's probably just going to be a random order, you know. And I'm sorry if I leave anyone out, you know, just... Definitely will try not to. You know, my Kelvin and my college friends for giving me that like social life that was like amazing. And I'm gonna know Kelvin the rest of my life. And of course, you know, I wanna thank, you know, my parents, you know, for always supporting every decision I've ever made. And you know, I wanna apologize to my mom for not being more open and vocal about things growing up and I do apologize for that because I love my mom so much and I know she was just would worry about me and, and I get that because I was quiet and I wasn't being open about my depression and I just want to thank my mom for just always being so patient with me you know she was just just there like for listening if if I did want to talk and she still is to this day and I love her so much and I want to thank my dad for just pushing me you know, and I'm so grateful that what he saw in me as an athlete and, you know, knowing that I'm still him, you know, those things you taught me about sports and pushing me, I want you to know I still use those. And I, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, just being an amazing father. I can never thank him enough for just the push and the grind. And I don't think my brother, you know, my brother... I love my big brother, you know, we're, we're only two and a half years apart and he couldn't have been better as a brother. You know, he was so understanding. I, I don't think we ever fought. I know he might've mentioned that, but I don't remember ever fighting with my brother. You know, if we did, it might've just been something like so stupid, but yeah, I just want to thank him for always just being there, you know, and he makes me laugh so much, you know, even when he doesn't know he does. And I'm so grateful for him. Grateful for him pushing me as well and, and the understanding, and to this day, the still understanding. And I want to thank, you know, Mary. You know, I loved having a little sister growing up. It was, it was fun. Family parties come to mind with Mary when, you know, we'd be down in the basement, you know, Ellen and Steve's basement, and big, now Mary, get me five crackers, seven chips, a chicken wing, and a Coke, and I'm going to time you. <laughs> and Mary would sprint up, get this. She can come back to me like, okay, you made it in time. It was like these stupid memories that, you know, I love. And I remember a couple years ago, I did, I did it again to Mary. And I'm always going to do that joke with her. And Mary was always there to hang out with. Either she was a great movie partner for me. You know, I have memories of me, Mary, and Keegan, our cat, just chilling. And I'm so grateful for, you know, Mary in so many ways. And I want to thank Ellen and Steve for being amazing, amazing godparents. 
not to be like hyperbolic, but like I was over there so much. I don't know how many times I slept over. You know, I was always like, oh, you know, I wonder if Ellen and Steve like Rye go home. You know, <laughs> but I was I was so grateful that just like with that move from Woodstock to Rhode Island, I found out that home stopped being like a geographical location and it became a vibe. And I have so many homes I consider. My parents are a home, right? Just being with them is a home. And, you know, you and I being out here, it's a home. And, you know, the house on Lampson Road, that was a home to me. It was a vibe I loved. And I'm so grateful that, you know, they never kicked me out and fed me and, you know, just always there. And I'm always, I'm so appreciative of that because it did help me through that those rocky years of fitting in and they were just up the street and I was so grateful for that. And of course I want to thank Katie and Meg for just, you know, being really older sisters that, you know, I, from a younger age who were just there for me to now I have so much fun with them, so many memories with them. You know, I love talking to both of them. I love the Cali trips we've had. I love, you know, the deep talks we have. It's so, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do with them. And I'm so appreciative of them, you know, waking up on Lampson Road and just so like, oh yeah, Ryan's here, what's up, Ryan? You know, just, I'm so thankful for them. And I love how Meg even appreciates, you know, Matt and I's humor with the jives and the finger pointing that she still uses to this day. I think that's awesome. And I also love some of the bits I do. I even do a, a Meg when I'm on the couch. I'd be like, no. And... You know, Gav and Dill as well, you know. Yeah, I see a little Dill, you know. Dill's kind of like a little apprentice, and, you know. I see the cold cereal, and I'm going to make sure Dill never puts milk in there. <laughs> um, and I don't think Sue and George. You know, Sue to me is like, Sue's awesome, right? Sue's just so grateful for everything Sue's done, like the vacations we've had, these club levels. You know, you've even been a part of them now. And, you know, Sue to me is like almost like a stand-up comic, you know, just give Sue like a microphone and you might just lose it. You know, it's so, I love talking to Sue. It's so fun. And George is awesome. George is so laid back. We just talk for like, sometimes I'm on the phone with George for like 45 minutes. We're like, oh yeah, we were on the phone for 45 minutes. And, you know, it's so funny. We live in California and George actually used to live up the street from us. And, you know, I have so much in common with George and I'm so thankful for George. I don't thank Jen so much for, you know, I always have a good time with Jen, you know. Jen makes me laugh just like Jim Patrick does. You know, she doesn't know she does. And I'm so thankful for the times I have with Jen. And I'm also so very blessed for the two nieces I have, Addie and Kate. And I'm so lucky that I'm also a godparent to Katie. And I'm so grateful for that from Jen. I want to thank Chris for, you know, becoming like a new brother-in-law, new brother and for making my sister Mary so happy. And I look forward to learning more about the nautical terms <laughs> and going on his boat, you know, in the future. And of course, I want to thank, you know, your family. You know, your dad is like, your dad's such an amazing person. He's this activist. I've learned so much from your dad. Sayings like self-praise is no praise. You know, I cherish all these times in the man cave watching sports. And it's such a great experience to watch a game with your dad. It's so fun. I look forward to it so much. And is the margarita nights we've had, the movie nights we've had, it's 
you know, I really do cherish those times. Of course, I want to thank your mom. Your mom has done so much for me, especially behind the scenes in L.A., and I can never thank your mom enough for how amazing she is and how generous she is. And, you know, it's so funny. Your mom has become, like, <laughs> almost like a separate relationship from you. Like, we text, you know, we laugh at the same stuff. We have inside jokes together. It's something that I never could have imagined, you know, getting married, how wonderful that relationship is. I want to thank my guy, John, Jay Hurls, and Mary for the nephews and the niece. And John allowing me to be a godparent to James is something, you know, he didn't have to do. And I'm so grateful John included me. And I love my time with John, you know, the games, sports, you know, fist bumping after something. <laughs> um, very grateful for everything they've done for me. And of course, I want to, you know, thank you for you know everything you do for me you know you're so amazing and understanding you're obviously you know my best friend you know you're always there when i come with like my overthinking you know breaking something down you're like okay i think you're overthinking that <laughs> with everything we do and i'm so you know i can never say enough things nice about you you know i know obviously i'm biased but like you are such a wonderful person it's not it's so transparent to you it's so authentic. You are that wonderful. It's not, you know, a facade. You know, you're such an amazing person. And you've always been there for me. And, you know, I love you so much. I love, you know, how you just are there. You know, we'll be on the couch and I do a lot of bits. You know, I'm always like, we'll be watching TV and I'll do bits. You know, and you just laugh. You know, so many bits I do with you, we'll go to Ralph's, the grocery store, and I'll, like, purposely go to another aisle, and you'll be in another aisle, and I'll come to that aisle you're in, and I'll be like, oh, hey, Rebecca, and I'll do this, like, dumb bit where, like, I don't know you, just to get the reaction from the other people in the aisle. It's so dumb, but you're always, you're always there to, like, enjoy, you don't care, you're there to enjoy it, and, you know, the bits I do on the couch, you know. It's so dumb. I'm always like, I want to do an act tonight for Kate. See if she laughs. You know? And sometimes I'll like walk away and be like, oh my god, she's not laughing. <laughs> I have to rework this bit. But, um, you know, I'm so grateful for so many inside jokes we have and the shows we watch. And Like I said, I'll never be able to thank you enough for everything you've done for me. And, you know, you're my favorite audience member. You know, you're always cheering me on no matter what. You know, with everything I do, you're the number one fan, and I'll always look for you. You're my best friend, and I can't wait to continue everything we do. You know, of course, Matt and Jeff, I, you know, like I said before, I could never thank them enough for, you know, you know, everything they've done for me. And, you know, Jeff will always be, you know, such an inspiration to me. He, I think about him several times a day, you know. And of course, you know, some are great memories, you know, and laugh about Jeff be said and you know, I do get sad. You know, sometimes I think about, you know, what we we could still be doing, you know, like how we planned another Comic Con and how, you know, I could always convince Jeff to do things. And I know yeah, I get sad a little bit thinking, you know, I know Jeff loved having a creative outlet and I you know, when you started this podcast, I, I got a little sad thinking, like, 
it was like it was like a sad excitement i was like oh jeff you know matt and i or maybe we could have done a podcast about movies and or cf or you know something and i know jeff would have been reluctant at first but i know he would have caved he'd be like yeah right let's do that and you know i used to get excited about like things and how much i miss him just random texts about breaking stuff down you know but ultimately i'm so grateful for both of them because you know they helped me more than they probably ever realized i want to thank you know sandra so much you know she's like the perfect you know match for matt and you know i think sandra and i are kind of similar in a way you know we're both quiet you know observe and <laughs> i didn't know i made sandra laugh so much but i'm <laughs> i'm glad i do and I know Matt's always going to be okay because Sandra takes such great care of him. You know, so all in all, you know, when I've ever felt as though I'm free-falling, you know, with CF or depression, you know, you guys all helped me collectively pull that parachute cord. And, you know, you didn't know. And I'm forever grateful for that. Love you guys so much. And now for a few special messages from a few special family members. Gavin, Dylan, Addie, Katie, George, and Susie. Enjoy! I love Jeffy because we used to do fun things together. He took me to my first movie, Frozen, and my first zoo trip. I miss seeing him. I love Maddie because he's so funny, like when we raced and he fell. I love sleeping at his house and playing with the dogs. Maddie is really smart. I love Rye Guy because he's funny and talented. I love spending time with him. I loved when we sat next to each other at breakfast in Disney. I love Jeffy because he's smart and kind. I love riding the tractor and picking out pumpkins. I love his Army Guy costume. I miss him. I love Maddie because he's super kind and funny. I like to race Maddie and wind. I love sleepovers at his house. I love Rye Guy because he eats dry cereal just like me. He is funny and kind. I love when he comes to my grandma's house. Hi, this is Abby. Uncle Ryan is special because he is silly, brave, funny, nice, kind, and loving. Uncle Maddie is special because he is kind, nice, funny, eager, and very silly. Uncle Jeffy is special because he is fun, very nice, and kind. Loves Star Wars and Disney. Brave and loving. Hi, this is Katie. Uncle Y is special because he is smart and nice, kind. He loves caribou. Uncle Maddie is special because he is funny and makes silly sounds always happy. Uncle Jeff is special because he is fun to play with, loves Christmas, and loves Disney, and kind and loyal. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for putting together this podcast about cystic fibrosis and how it's affected our entire family and friends of those we love who were born with this genetic childhood disease. When I think about Jeff, Ryan, and Matt, my thoughts always go to a place of strength. 
their ability to fight their personal battles against CF every day of their lives is that of determination of a great warrior. Special memories and moments of Disney and Jeff will never be forgotten because my life has been forever changed as a result of three extraordinary individuals I met along the way. Thanks, Caitlin. All my best to you. Keep up the good work, the great work, bringing the voice to CF and those of us who pray for a cure for Ryan and Matt. Love you, Uncle George. Upon my return from Iraq, I wrote a book called The Nightingale of Mosul to honor all the heroes I have known in my life. There was no doubt in my mind who I would dedicate the story of my lifetime to. For in war, I fought the battles every day and hoped I win. My nephews, Jeffrey, Matthew, and Ryan, fight their battles against cystic fibrosis every day, but I know they will win. Although Jeffrey is not physically here with us today, he'll always be in our hearts. He was my biggest fan and hero, as is Matthew and Ryan today. They fight the fight every day against that terrible genetic disease we call cystic fibrosis, or as little kids call it, 65 roses. I don't have any kids, but they are the children I never had. I am so blessed. My sister Eleni and her husband Steve, along with my brother Jackie and his wife Tony, are my heroes too, for they gave their boys hope against hope their whole lives. When I get sad about what Matt and Ryan are going through, I remember a song they sang for the celebration of Jeff's life, and oh boy, what a life he had as he entered into paradise. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you smile through your fear and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness. Although a tear may be ever so near, that's the time you must keep on trying. Smile. What's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. That's the time you must keep on trying. Smile. What's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Jeff is smiling down upon us all now. Take it easy, he especially would say to Matt and Ryan, though. We're going to have a cure for cystic fibrosis real soon. And he'd be saying that with that famous grin of his. So, smiling, I say, leave it to you, Jeff, to make that happen for your brother and cousin. Love all you guys. You're my heroes. P.S. Almost forgot Jeff, Ryan, and Matt. May the force be with you always. Of my memories are thrown up on the wall Baby, you should take your seat Did you read the marquee? Did you know what I'm about to screen? These are my defining moments My shining pride in total darkness Witness on my feet while your feet are blue velvet carpets 
It reminds you of an ocean, don't it? Is that the shadow of a shark? I will show you all my fears and my distorted thoughts. Let me take you through my years. Looky, here's my favorite part. When I finally got that gushy and she tore my whole heart. Baby, this seemed kind of long. When I was lost, I was ready for the fall. Let the credits roll. Take a look down at the floor that blue velvet gone. Replaced with moss upon a stone. You've been here for too long. Hope you enjoyed the show. Now head on home. It was just a night out at the theater.